Alrighty, folks. It is another episode of the Summit Up podcast. And wow. Um, so for those of you who are not aware, there was a little uh, snafu on the OIRA website. So in the last episode uh, that we talked about at the beginning of August, we talked about how at long last, DOD had finally submitted the text of the CMMC rule <clears throat> over to OIRA, which is the beginning of the end of the rulemaking process. OIRA is going to review the text of the rule. They're going to designate it as <clears throat> either proposed or interim final, and then it's going to be published for everybody to see. And that really is uh, the uh, end of the rulemaking timeline at that point. Now, the catch, however, is that when the text of a rule goes to OIRA, nobody's allowed to talk about it because it's in this weird deliberative process, right? Uh, and somebody uh, goofed. And it turns out that the uh, sleuths in the community, keeping their eye on all of these developments, found an obscure web page uh, buried somewhere deep in the OIRA directory that had links to the text of the draft documents of the final CMMC framework that we've all been waiting to see that would be published with the rule. Um, and this was a, uh, it's hard to describe how absurd this leak of information actually is. Remember, DOD is not even allowed to talk about the process at this point. And somehow the documents, the text of the documents themselves ends up being posted publicly on the OIRA website. Now, before we get into it, just to be very clear, this was inadvertent. This was, we assume, accidental. They have since been taken down. They were not supposed to be published. They were marked as draft documents. This is not how the process is supposed to work. Uh, it is not theoretically the final text of the documents because they haven't been finished being reviewed and they haven't been published in an official way. However, we took a peek, right? <laughs> Jason, you especially dove head first into all these documents. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about what kinds of things we have seen by peeking around the corner in that brief, I don't know, it wasn't even 24, it, they weren't even up for 24 hours. I mean, they were they were gone in less than a day. So uh, what do you think? What did you see? What did you learn? What's in the documents? What's going on? I feel like the only proper reaction for me to have is for me to channel my inner cousin, Eddie, from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when Clark tells the whole family that Santa's been spotted flying. And he looks at him, he goes, you serious, Clark? Like, seriously, did this happen? Yeah, I, did, I, really, did. I really couldn't believe it, right? I figured we're, we're entering into this lull period, this false uh, lull, right? Uh, for anybody that's ever gone surfing, it's sort of like that lull period before the biggest wave comes of the day, where DOD can't talk about it. Nobody really knows what any of the rulemaking means, but we know that it's with OIRA and then, you know, 60 days later, bang, all this stuff is going to come out. So people were messaging me being like, 
level three was published, level three was published. And then as people started digging, they were like, oh, it's all of the documents for yeah. all of the levels. And this isn't, I mean, this is what was submitted to OIRA. It's crazy. I, it, we went through this period of, it was like CMMC Christmas in July, right? We were just constantly being awarded all these gifts that were A, great for us to talk about, and B, great for the entire CMMC program as a whole, like revisions, updates, and things that, that are coming to it. In this particular present, and this was a little bit late, and it got delayed, you know, shipping, whatever happened, but uh, it was delivered to us and we were able to see it. <clears throat> and where do we start? Um, I guess, obviously, let's let's talk about the things that were included in the documents that were released. And it was revisions to all the documentation that covers CMMC level one. So your um, assessment guides that are associated with it, your self-assessment guide that's associated with it, uh, the framework itself. Uh, same thing to do with level two, the hashing, scoping guide, assessment guide, all received updates and refreshes. But I think the thing, and you, know, you led into it, the thing that was the most interesting is it's the first time ever that we've gotten a glimpse of what's going to be included in the CMMC level three framework, right? And to include scoping and uh, the assessment guide for the practices themselves. We've known all along and everybody's told us that it's gonna be some sort of tailored set of the enhancements found in NIST 800-172. We just didn't know which ones. We knew there were right. 35. Now, a couple months ago, we saw another graphic that just happened to squeak out, right? And that graphic told us 134 would be the amount of practices required to be implemented to meet CMMC level three. Which would be the 110 at level two plus 24, 24 at level yep. three, right? So 24 of the 35 uh, requirements that are outlined in NIST SP 800-172, right? So, yep. so for those of you following along at home and keeping score, CMMC level one are the requirements in FAR 52-204-21, mm -hmm. CMMC level two, assesses the requirements in NIST SP 800-171. CMMC level three assesses the requirements in NIST SP 800-172. And the big question was how many of those 35, what subset of those 35 would be required? And according to the leaks, 24 of them will be required, right? Yep, 24 of the security enhancements are now CMMC level three practices that uh, are required to be implemented to get the certification there's 80 assessment objectives. So in addition to the 320 that are attached to the CMMC level two framework, which will be relevant in a minute, um, there is an additional 80. So you are gaining 25% uh, more workload. Um, with as, to, the, uh, as the documents are written currently, right? So we, so we oh, know, yeah. so just for everybody's reference, right? So we know that uh, the CUI series of documents is being revised by NIST currently. Nobody has to implement 800-171-R3 yet because it's still in draft, but 800-171, or sorry, 800-172 is also being revised because 800-171 and 800-172 are derivatives of 853. And 853 was updated to Rev5 a while ago. And so all the derivative uh, you know, catalogs from 853 subsequently have to be updated. So it's 320 assessment objectives in 800 8 right now. And then now you're saying that the 24 requirements in 800-172 as written right now would be an additional 80 assessment objectives. That's correct. Okay. And it, it also, um, from the, uh, so one of the things that was characteristic of 172 that we saw being um, integrated into 
171 Rev 3 was the inclusion of organizationally defined parameters or ODPs, right? So the first glimpse yeah. that anybody may have seen of those prior to NIST 800-171 Rev 3 with regards to this UI program was NIST 800-172. And yeah, yeah. If you didn't, uh, if you didn't go back and look at 853 based off of what was written in 800-171, which everyone should do because it helps clarify what 800-171 is asking for, the only place you would have seen ODPs or organization defined parameters would have been in 800-172. And 800-172 was published quite a while ago at this point. And so it was not, um, it wasn't a hard uh, 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 prediction to make to say that 171 was going to follow in the format of 800-172. And in that similar vein, I know that I think about it as you're saying it, uh, people should look at 800-172A to look at what the likely formatting change of 800-171A will be, because we went 853 update, 800-172 update, now we're in the 800-171 update. So it all is sort of trickling down into the 800-171 updates. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, of the 24 security enhancements that they've tailored out of 172 to create the level three framework, nine of those security practices contain organizationally defined parameters. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions when ODPs was introduced with the Rev3 draft was who is going to define those ODPs when it comes time for CMMC level two to absorb the NIST 800-171 revision three standard. Mm -hmm. What we found out in the glimpse that we got when we were reading the tea leaves, and it is explicitly stated in the text within the first, I think, four or five pages of the assessment guide is that the DOD defined and approved these values that are associated with it. So if we think about that and what that relates to with regards to the level two framework and the updates is the defining of the organizational defined parameters, the 50 plus that exist within 171 Rev 3 could possibly be done by DV, DOD, the DOD. Yeah. We don't, we're not saying that all of them will. That's a right. lot, right? Nine. The DOD extending the effort to define the nine organizationally defined parameters within 172 is obviously a much smaller undertaking than the DOD taking and assigning and defining values for 50 plus for Rev3. So yeah. maybe they pick the critical ones and they define those and then right. punt the rest to, to it and put limits. We talked about this before about limits on the ODPs where they're saying and they have a definition within the level three assessment guide and within 172, um, where they'll say periodically. Yep. And anybody that may not know, periodically and according to these both of these documents is saying that it needs to happen in a reoccurring basis that doesn't exceed an interval of one year or at least right. annually. Which makes sense. I mean, doing, <laughs> doing something at least annually is good. Changing your oil, going for a jog, right? Uh, mm -hmm. checking your audit logs for your security system. These are things that should probably be done at least once a year. Um, but it's interesting, yeah, that they have the ODPs defined because uh, we'll link to the poll, but we've had this poll uh, on LinkedIn for a couple of days at the time of this recording that I found very interesting. In our reading of the NIST SPA 171 R3 draft comments, the number one thing that people comment on is the existence of these ODPs. And, you know, we'll probably get into that in more details in another episode. But just to remind everybody, ODPs are not new in 800-171. They have always existed in 800-171, even though they're not written as ODP select a variable to fill in this blank. Because if you open 800-171A, 
the word define or specify occurs 98 times. There's 117 ODPs in the draft of 800 and people are acting like this is some sort of a new challenge. My question to everyone is, how did you assess yourself against 800-171A and calculate a score to upload to SPRS if you didn't do the define, specify, define, specify, which is always the first step in the assessment procedures of 800-171A? I mean, this is not explicitly formatting the requirements to match 172 and 853 does not create ODPs out of nothing. They've always existed. We can get into that into a different episode, but we'll link to the poll. It's a lot of interesting discussion for sure, but it is very, very interesting in terms of the leaks to see that DOD define those ODPs, which they do all the time in the 853 world. Yeah. Um, I think another, besides the ODPs, another thing that really, really stood out to me um, was the emphasis on asset, stronger asset management capabilities for organizations, mm-hmm. more stringent access control policies to be attached, and um, the call for micro uh, for network segmentation, for yeah. segmenting CUI resources and putting extra provisions and separating them from general day-to-day business operations that are not included, right? Yeah. Those you will see reoccurring uh, a reoccurring theme of either um, managing data flow so that data flow only transitions to, you know, provisioned, um, um, destinations that have the protections applied to them or, um, actually limiting the access, uh, to your information system resources to assets that your organization owns. Why is that a big deal, Jacob? Well, I was going to say, uh, all of this language that they're using in terms of segmentation and more granular access control is something that they can continue to emphasize and include and tailor in more and more of requirements like that uh, under the umbrella of zero trust architecture, right? Mm -hmm. Even if that's not um, exactly accurate to say that these are the things that are tenets of zero trust, the big push by DOD and by DOD CIO for zero trust all the things means that if any controls that have to do with access control, segmentation, data flow, things like that, they can automatically be like, well, we're helping to facilitate zero trust, throw it all in there. So um, <clears throat> that's Ver- verify everything, just... right? right? The access control yeah. standards. Now for asset, uh, for assets, right? You have to bi-directionally all, um, authenticate these devices mm-hmm. when they connect to one, one another. And in addition to that, you're limiting with conditional access policies and verifying the security configurations, the ownership, the firmware levels, every single thing that's attached to these devices that are going to attach to your information system resources. Sure as heck sounds like zero trust architecture to me. Yep. I mean, this is what I remember at the AB Summit at the end of 2022, Vicky Pilateri got on stage with Matt Travis, which is something we could probably talk about in a longer episode about the political mm-hmm. battles between DOD and NIST and things that happened back in the day. It was a tremendous moment for people who knew what they were looking at. Uh, Anyways, the question came up, uh, which seems to always come up, be like, we don't like 171. It's this, it's that. We don't like it. What about zero trust? And the look on Vicky's face, uh, for those who don't know, Vicky Pilateri, uh, one of the primary authors of NIST SPA 171 and many other NIST documents, incredible security professional who works at NIST. Uh, The look on her face was one of astonishment and uh, puzzlement, where she was like, these two things are not in conflict with one another. And this is the point that I always make to people is, you know, it doesn't, it's always puzzled me that 
the DOD would say, well, what we really need to do in the supply chain is push for zero trust, not because it's a bad idea, but because zero trust hinges on doing more of the things that people are already not good at, right? Mm -hmm. it, re it requires more granular access control. It requires more granular and stringent identity management, right? It requires all of these, you know, relatively technical things that as they exist currently in 800-171 are typically the controls that people mess up the most. And so when we say, well, we shouldn't do 171, we should do zero trust. You're like, you're actually going harder in the paint on 171 rather than doing something different. Yeah, it's uh, if you look at the 172 framework or the standard from this, the, that, that, that standard from um, this, what you notice is that all of the efforts are, um, well, a majority of the access control efforts and the asset efforts are to bottleneck um, the access to the attack surface yeah. to, to a certain area so that you can hard monitor one small point instead of broadly monitoring different assets and, and things yep. like that. So yeah. um, it, it's, it's very um, enlightening to when you look at this. But the one thing that stood out to me about this more stringent access control requirements and the asset management requirements, not only is it is the requirement for organizations to have automated um, asset management software capabilities to keep up to date and, and real time living asset management inventories um, on the for the devices that connect to the system. But it was actually the fact that if you look at this, this is the end of um, the BYOD program, which was, you know, basically a, a huge help to organizations for the mobility, especially when we were in the pandemic and things of that nature yeah. to allow connectivity from anywhere. Right. So now the organizations that have 172 requirements, if they're using BYOD, they're going to have to foot the bill and issue or limit access um, to these things. Yeah, absolutely. Was there anything that, uh, so those are, so we we're talking about the 24 things that were included. Were there any of the uh, 35 requirements that didn't get included that surprised you? Was there anything that you expected would be tailored in? Yeah, actually it's the absolute first one that you see when you see, when you get into NIST 800 So 311E, which mm -hmm. is not in relation to 311. You gotta love it. You love another, to see it. You love another to see episode. more more confusing control IDs that map back to the same things in 53. Please, NIST, please, please stop doing this. Sorry. And, no, you're good. And what 311E is requiring organizations to do is to dual authorize for very critical um, operations within the environment. So like maybe deletion of CUI directories, deletion... Mm -hmm. Or, or changes to launching uh, nuclear uh, weapons and you both yeah, got anything like that, 100%. Yeah. And so to anything that would be of huge detrimental impact to the organization or the data it's supposed to protect, um, any of those functions, you would have to define those and then obviously put administrative and technical controls in place to stop them from being executed without dual authorization being present for, for it, right? Um, and, and so that one really surprised me because I felt like one of the ways that you protect the available, and it's an availability control. Once again, 172, CMMC level three, we aren't in this box of confidentiality anymore. We're spreading out into yep. the integrity and availability. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, this is in the front of 800-172 where they're like, 800-171 is a data protection, data confidentiality standard. It is a privacy model, right? It is not yep. designed. They've said this over and over again. It is not designed to represent a holistic program. It is not designed to teach you to start a security program. It is a very narrow tailoring based off of the language in the executive order for the protection of CUI as to what the minimum data confidentiality standard is. 800-172 comes along, tries to tailor in a bunch of extra stuff to try to mitigate the presence and activity of APTs 
tries to talk mm-hmm. about availability and integrity controls. It is a it is a huge leap from the narrowness of 800-171, which is why personally the idea that C, you know CMC is not a maturity model, right? Because going from 171 to 172 is uh, that's a big step, that's a big jump, and it, uh, it's it's just not it's it's <laughs> it is not a logical jump to go from one to the other. It's a different it's a different world of protections. Yeah, so. It- in some cases, I, I'm 100% in agreement with yeah. you. There are some elements, which I, w- I want to talk about now, which are huge undertakings for organizations, both mm-hmm. financially and resources burdening, right? And those are um, the four main things. Um, now, with the CMMC Level 3 um, framework, you are required to uh, actively hunt threats and then conduct risk assessments and make changes and mitigations to your information, uh, information system based off of those risks. And, and a, a periodic frequency, right? Um, as whatever information that you get from the threat intel with regards to your threat hunting and things like that, you need to proactively move on that. It's not mm-hmm. like, okay, well, we'll wait till a patch comes from Microsoft. What are you doing to make this yeah. better? The next one is the fact that organizations are required to conduct pen testing on their information system at least annually. That's an organizationally defined parameter. The DoD says they want you to do it at least once a year. That one both of these things, do you think, and, and we'll keep up with the trend, yes or no, Jacob, the, the first two things that I've mentioned, do you think that a majority of the organizations that have to meet the CMMC level three requirements are going to internally be able to fulfill or satisfy? Internally, no. Okay, cool. Let's no, not internally, no, no way. Number three, you need to have a security operation center or a SOC as we like to know it, that is 24 seven capability. Jacob. Back to my previous question. Internally, you think they can do it? Nope. Okay, cool. Just moving on. Next, a security or a cybersecurity incident response team that can be deployed to react to incidents, respond to incidents, remediate, eradicate, contain, and help you recover within 24 hours. Do you think that organizations internally possess the capability to fulfill this requirement. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna would like to revise my answers and say I know that most of the companies who need level three will not be able to do these things internally because threat hunting and cyber threat intel, pen testing, uh, active monitoring and SOC analyst work, and incident re- remediation and response are four distinct disciplines within Very the world of cybersecurity, and people spend their entire careers working in one of those four lanes very rarely do people jump from one to the other let alone be good at all of them right and those are people who their entire career is cybersecurity. i was a SOC analyst for a long time pen testing threat hunting cyber incident response these are very specialized lanes uh to get into the idea that one company would do all of them you would have to be a pretty large cybersecurity company or a very large corporation with a very significant security budget to be just to be able to afford the staff to be able to do it, whether they were actually good at it or not is different because cybersecurity has negative unemployment, right? I mean, these are not things that companies are going to be able to do internally. I would, there's no, there's no way I would go watch the Barbie movie 45 more times. If I lose this bet, uh, no one's going to be able to do that internally. You're going to have to have external help. I think you're giving the Barbie movie a terrible rap, but I agree with you wholeheartedly. Like the fact of the matter is, is that um, these are now four new uh, requirements that are being introduced that are imposed upon organizations um, with critical or high value assets to the DOD, right? 
um, that now they are going to have to find one or multiple vendors because of how specialized the capabilities are. Yeah. Now, the incident response stuff, there's a lot of vendors that may possibly try to lump these all together. And as long as you do your due diligence and you have, you know, a, a confident feel about what, what can happen, you know, right. Your insurance you company that, might yeah. tap somebody for instant response, right. Based off of your insurance policy, which you totally have. Right. But that still, what does that mean? More resources as yeah. far as finances, more resources, as personnel to manage it on the organizations in um, more, more governance. Chain, it's more, yeah, it's more governance, yeah. larger attack service, yep. so, more supply well, chain risk, more and, vendor risk. You know, and this is why, this is why the DOD, this is why the DOD has always been so um, uh, purposeful in their description of 171 as things that were already required, right? Because if, if you go way back, way back in the day to when dinosaurs roamed the earth circa 2019 and 2020 in the development of the rule, they mm -hmm. said the only new requirements are the requirements that we are going to specify then at CMMC level four and five, which are the requirements in NIST SP 800-172, because Correct. that will impose new costs, that will impose new requirements, that will impose new burdens, new impacts. These are the new things. Everything in FAR 52-204-21, everything in 800-171 per DFAR-7012 is water under the bridge. You already self-attested. We've already updated it. That is not the new stuff. The reason why they were saying that so adamantly is because they have to try to show that the actual new stuff is so narrow because they are requiring new stuff for what we now call CMMC Level 3. It wasn't just a finger wag, right? It's because they have to show one is new and the other two are not. Yeah, if you are looking right now at the CMMC level three requirements and you are thinking to yourself that this is the first time that my organization is incurring cost because of CMMC specifically, you are running a good cybersecurity program right now. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's absolutely a good way to put it. So yeah, yeah what, what else? It's not, yeah, it's I just mean, piling onto the mountain, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is, and we'll get to this one. I think we would get to my takeaways, but what, you know, was there anything else that you had uh, yeah, in, your, in your deep dive? Really, you know, the, the, the quick takeaways are is that for every one of the 24 7 SOC, the CERT teams, all of those really, really imposing or impactful um, requirements that are attached to it, I seem to have found one that is easily accomplished administratively or. Um, if you have a Microsoft 365 V5 license and you're leveraging it to the fullest capability, like maybe conditional access, plug Microsoft, Richard Wakeman, what's up, buddy? Anyways, like, um, <laughs> like th that that's the thing, right? Like, it, yeah. is that you already have the capabilities. You may not be leveraging them, and, and that's a discussion that you need to have with whoever provides. But they're late in, the, in that license yep. already. Yeah, conditional access, uh, conditional access policies and device management through Intune and Entra AD, right? If you enact both of those things and you limit it to devices that are controlled by the system and the security is verified, those are actually op options within Microsoft 365. There you go. Try, I mean, that's right? great. That's great. Yeah. That's great to know. So there, there is a home run for every one of the ones that are like, oh, man. But, oh, man's really aren't good if you're trying to struggle to get out of a hole that was built by neglecting 800-171. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, <clears throat> it's, it's not, it's not easy for sure. <clears throat> I, so so I, we've chatted, bro. Like we, we've constantly, we riff back and forth about what I thought about it. I yeah. want to know what you thought about it. So I put together a couple questions for you. Sure. You want to do it? Yeah, let's go. Let's go, man. So what's, obviously you've looked at the frame, uh, all of the documents that were released. Leaked? Uh, leaked. 
<laughs> I don't leaked? Know. Are we allowed to say that? Please don't. Please don't I, I'm calling it. it a leak. I don't know what else to call it. I don't know what else to call it. It was, I mean, it was, yeah. I want to know what your biggest takeaways for are from either the CMMC level three documentation or any of the documentation mm -hmm. that you've seen thus far. And then the, I'll, Easy, easy. The single biggest takeaway for me in the CMMC documents that were leaked, right, was a line out of the level two scoping guide and a line out of the level three scoping guide. And they say that if the OSC utilizes an external service provider, that external service provider must have a level two certification. Oh, or so what? if the OSC is seeking level three certification and they use an external service provider, that external service provider must have a level three certification. Hmm. There you go in black and white. I know it's still a draft, but hmm. if there are people who are listening to this podcast and you are leveraging an MSP, which you probably are, and that MSP does not have a for real actual plan for achieving at least CMMC level two, you are in a horrifically bad situation because 60 to 80% of your ability to even answer the questions during an assessment depend on that OSC being at the table. And if they're not allowed to be at the table unless they themselves are certified, you got a serious problem on your hands because we are running out of time. So it isn't just when you're going to get your certification, it's when your MSP is going to get their certification. Uh, that that is a it's Barbenheimer month. That is a that is the the flash has gone off. Right, we don't know whether the DoD was going to zig or whether they were going to zag. We knew there was going to have to be a shared responsibility matrix. We knew that your MSP was going to play this critical role, and they sort of existed in this gray space in the eyes of CMMC and DFAR seventy twelve. Boom, there it is. If you use an MSP. They got to be certified to the level that you need. Honestly, that's probably the right way to do it. But there are a lot of companies out there that have been sold a bill of goods from a lot of MSPs that are probably not going to show up once they figure out that that's actually the situation. Here we are trying to peacefully celebrate CMMC Christmas. And here you come, Mr. Grinch, with the lump of coal. It's, I mean, I didn't, you know. I, I, I made questions that I thought you were going to come with spicy meatballs. I didn't know it was going to be the ghost pepper meatballs. That is the, the that is the Carolina Reaper of spicy meatballs, right? Nice. Your MSP needs to be able to be certified, right? All right. You, Jacob, classified this as a leak. I said release, said leak. I, I'm just not trying to be put on any list. So if it is a leak well, why were these documents made available and then taken down? We've already seen them. So like, doesn't it look worse if, oops, pull it down? Or yeah, it looks does. terrible. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it's absurd. The whole thing is ridiculous. So effectively when the rulemaking process happens, part of the reason why it takes so long is there's all of these like checks and balances and analyses, and there's all this bureaucratic red tape that agencies sure. have to go through because of various executive orders and pieces of legislation that have been created in the past that require them to write certain reports or conduct certain analyses and then compile it all together in the text of the rule. And then that's what gets submitted. That's why it takes so long. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of those major uh, tasks that agencies have to do is they have to go through a bunch of the requirements of what is known as the paperwork reduction act. Okay. The paperwork reduction act is basically this piece of legislation that was designed to put a check on agencies from uh, creating a bunch of paperwork uh, 
uh, for the public based off of saying we created a regulation and now you're required to fill out this form and submit this information and answer this questionnaire and blah, 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 blah. You can understand how the original intent of the law was, uh, it was well-intended, right? We don't want mm -hmm. to have this happen. So what's ended up happening is any time a regulation is going to impose a requirement on somebody being regulated to do something, you have to conduct these estimates under the Paperwork Reduction Act. And so these documents were posted um, under the section of the website where that analysis would be posted, right? It's usually in the text of the rule. There's a bunch of sections of rules. There's the Paperwork Reduction Act. There's the Regulatory Flexibility Act, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, these documents and the analysis that went with it were supposed to be on the not public side of that portal and they got put on the public side and there's all these people out there who've written bots that scrape like every known domain to have anything to do with cmmc and rulemaking so that the instant anything happens everybody knows about it so as far as we know as far as we have heard there's still no statement from dod or oira about what happened hopefully they come out with something you know but uh at this point it was completely inadvertent it was accidental it was a leak. It, this is not the normal rulemaking process. This is not how the information was supposed to be put out. We clearly know that this wasn't the information that was supposed to be put out because even though the CMMC documents were marked as distribution A, approved for public release, they're still marked as draft, right? So they, they're existing in this rulemaking limbo that we can't see yet. And uh, yeah, but for less than 24 hours, they were out there for the world to see. Now, to be fair, we are talking about them but we're not going to link to them directly. They're not on the website anymore. If anybody is motivated enough, they're easy enough to find. Just scroll on LinkedIn or probably Google it. Uh, and they're, 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 they're easy enough to find the documents. They are drafts. It was a leak. It is not the final release. But, uh, you know, it, it's very interesting to take a look at, right? Which sort of leads to my, my next takeaway in that, uh, you know, We've seen it. We've seen it, right? People were like, we don't know if the rulemaking is, we don't know if CMMC is real because rulemaking is taking a long time and then it was <laughs> submitted. And then, well, it's submitted, but we still don't know if it's real. And now we've seen it, right? We have seen Bigfoot. We've seen the spaceships that they're hiding at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, right? We've seen the thing that no one else has seen. I mean, lots of people on LinkedIn and everybody in the ecosystem saw these documents. But we've seen around the corner. We know what's coming, right? We, we've seen specifics of what's coming. It's real. It's not, it's not fake. They're real, right? And so That's at this point, it's just sort of running out the clock and waiting for the official publication. But, you know, it's a leak. So uh, anybody that still has their doubts, I mean, I don't, know what to, I don't know what to tell you. Can you imagine being one of those people that doubt, a CMMC, one of those CMMC naysayers, uh, and you're typing your angry, spiteful message uh, for whatever platform it is, um, talking about how CMMC is not going to happen and wondering to yourself, that sure is a lot of documentation they're revising for a program that's not going to happen. Yeah, it, yeah, I, yeah. I remember you said that right when it happened. And I think it's I think it's a great point, right? For, uh, right? for a program that is doomed and inevitably not going to happen, there sure are a lot of details in the leaked documents uh, about a program that seems 
like it's maybe, well let's see maybe they're the it? titanic band they're just playing until they go into the supposed, ocean we're I mean, not it's sure supposed yet. to be you know published end of october basically if we stick to the yeah. same timeline so you know just a couple of other things so we had you know the msp requirement and the fact that it's coming in that same vein as the fact that we know that it's coming there were no curveballs i mean there were mm -hmm. some there's some questions out there where people don't know if dod is going to zig or they going to zag right are security protection assets supposed to only have applicable controls to them or all controls to them? Do MSPs need to have certification or not? There are these questions where like, are they going to pick this or are they going to pick that? Are they going to pick this or are they going to pick that? And when I was looking through the documents, there's nothing out of left field. There's no like brand new thing. There's no new levels. There's no new jargon that like it's the same stuff that DOD has been talking about since 2021. It's the same stuff that everybody's sort of narrowed down. And it's like these few questions, what will the answers be? It is not 3.0 or 4.0 or 5.0. It's the same CMMC that DOD has been telling everybody about for two years. There's nothing wild. I mean, it's new because it's because it's the final stuff, but it's not it's not some overhaul. It's not anything crazy. I mean, it's it's just CMMC. Yeah, it's it's like the Tesla truck of cybersecurity requirements, right? Like everybody went through and they pre-ordered the Tesla truck like six years ago, and now they're waiting for production. And now production starts. Cyber truck. Yeah, you see, you see, you see, like the cyber truck out on the street, and everybody's like, "It's coming, it's coming." Yeah, Same I thing. think that's a you, good metaphor. It's hideous. It's expensive, and uh, everybody. I wasn't even aiming for all years. that. You took you took it to that level again. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> <that's not> <laughs> Okay, so the other uh, one of the other things that jumped out to me, uh, just to sort of bookend our discussion about level three, we talked to Stacey Bosjanic at CS2DC, uh, you know, in July. Geez, that would have been July of 2022. Now at this point, so a year ago, and I asked her the question. We'll find the clip. We'll link it in the show notes. I asked her the direct question. Hey, it doesn't seem to me like Dibcac high assessments are a random lottery. Everyone that we've ever talked to that's received a DIBCAC high assessment is doing some pretty high-speed, low-drag stuff. Uh, it wouldn't be the case that if you've received a level or a DIBCAC high assessment that you're a likely candidate for level three, would it? Sir, sir, the words you're looking for are whiz-bang. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah, she said, if you've received a DIBCAC high assessment, that is a very strong indicator that is a very strong indicator that you will need a CMMC level three assessment. So for those of you listening, if you received a DIBCAC high in the last two years, you should probably pay attention to what's going on with CMMC level three. Find the docs, pay attention to what Jason's saying, look out for our blog on the same topic, because you're probably going to be very familiar with those requirements sooner rather than later. Absolutely. And then the last thing that I had was, you know, in the way that they had the documents split up, they had CMMC level one. CMMC level two, CMMC level three, they still have it set up with CMMC level two self uh, assessment, CMMC level two external assessment for certification. This goes back to the idea that level two has a bifurcation where some people at CMMC level two won't need an external assessment. Some people at CMMC level two will need an external assessment. However, as we know, the DOD has admitted they have no idea how they would manage that. They have no idea which types of CUI within the controlled technical information category would qualify for not an external assessment. And so 
like I said, it's the same thing that they've been talking about, but just because they say that self-assessments are available, do not bank on the probability that you will be able to self-assess rather than getting a external certification and assessment if you're dealing with control technical information downstream from the DoD or Mega Prime, because the DoD is struggling, the primes don't have an answer, nobody knows how that bifurcation mechanism will work. So just, you know, when you're doing your risk assessment here about when you're going to go and when you're not going to go, just don't, I would say, just put some extra thought into how probable is it that you're putting fins on missiles and you won't need a certification, right? It's, just, you, it's probably not likely. With with regards to certifications, Jacob, do you think if I'm an organization um, that is going to be required to meet CMMC level three, that I can just go ahead and sign up for a CMMC level three assessment. And then as a inclusion in that, because I had to implement the 172 requirements, that once I achieve that level three, I automatically get the CMMC level two? Uh, no, that's not how it's going to work because- That's 100% not how it's going to work. That's not how, it's, that's not how it yeah, works. Yeah, yeah, yeah because yeah. It, it's assessing a different set of requirements. Now there may be Absolutely. some C3PAOs out there that like bundle them, right? Where they're just like, hey, we're going to do your level two and then we're going to well, do your level three. but. I don't, that's not, that's not, no. it, it isn't automatic that you're automatically subsuming the requirements so by isn't, level three. Isn't level three DIPCAC, level three is DIPCAC responsibility. Yeah, well, I mean, but it's it's the same thing, right? Where, you know, is DIPCAC going to be able to support? Can you get a C3PO to do it? Can yeah. you do it? Like, it's just, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of issues that need to get hammered out in terms of yeah, how no. that certification is so, going to go. I mean, in the assessment guide, it says you, you must achieve not only just a CMMC level two certification, but a final certification, which mm -hmm. means that to get a final certification, something else has to be final, the rule. Yeah. And then that's when final certifications are issued. Yeah. Um, and it, it sounds like at least, you know, DIDCAC will at least have to sit with a C3PAO. Yeah. I, I assume what they're going to do is they're probably going to have some sort of thing like they have with the joint surveillance where like, they're able to scale DIBCAC a little bit better by having them ride with C3PAOs doing level mm. three. We don't know if that's true, but I would imagine that's what they're doing because it works for joint surveillance. So you don't have to have DIBCAC only be the ones doing level three. Maybe they'll stick with that. I don't know. But um, but yeah, if you've received a DIBCAC high in the past, you're probably going to need a level three. And if uh, it's just, I don't know, we've, We've seen we've seen the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Not only has it been submitted, but we've seen the documents. And yep. uh, I mean, it's just what a crazy month, man. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's just July, August. Yeah. They're ending the summer on a hot note. Like we're going to labor. It, it meanwhile, is meanwhile, NIST is furiously working on on finishing the updates to the draft to 171R3 and 171A, and that could happen at any moment. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, we can talk about that next week in the next episode. But at this point, you know, keep your ears to the ground and keep your eyes peeled, everybody, because it's it's crazy out here. Yeah, man. Happy holidays. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> All right. See you. See you guys later. <laughs>